Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the Grove. We are so glad you are here. And if we haven't met, my name is Christian. I am the lead pastor uh, here at the Grove. Raise your hand if you remember actually watching that commercial. You got, anybody remember seeing that one in particular? I remember seeing that one because it's hard to, rem- hard to forget the, the glasses of dad in that, uh, in that commercial. Um, but yeah, so I, I remember the initial watching of the game of life. And growing up, I loved playing the game of life, right? And if you're not familiar, um, I think most of us have probably seen it somewhere. A little bit of our, our art for this series is built around the look and feel of the game of life. And, um, you know, the thing about it is you're given this car and, and you're supposed to take the car through the game board. And as you go, the idea is that you, you build a life. You build a family, you get married, you have kids, if, if the cards and the, everything, the spinner goes your way, um, and then you're building a career, you're, you're trying to figure out. It's, it's meant to help you understand, how do I, what are all the different components that go into just building a life? But the thing about the game of life, right, when you think about it, is you're playing this game, and at the end, there's one winner. There's, there's one person that wins at the game of life. And if we were to translate that into our own experiences in, in real life, that'd be pretty depressing. Right? There's one person that wins out of, of everybody. And, and you can imagine the kind of, of, of situation that would create among us. And, and the other thing about the game of life, right, is, is how do you win? How do you become that one winner? Well, it's by getting more, just more stuff. That's the whole premise. It's just more and more and more and more. A better job, a better family situation, it's, it's all these things. And, and here's the thing, the game of life in and of itself, the, the board game, it can be a lot of fun, okay, I don't want to ruin it for you, but, but understand, right, that's, that is the premise of this thing. And, and, and so I think you can see if we were to translate that over into actual life, there begins to, to have some, some problems. We've been looking in this series at the games that families play, not just the the board games that we play, though we've had a good time kind of strolling through memory lane, looking at some of these vintage commercials and, and different uh, representations of, of games, board games and family games that, that get represented in culture, but really looking at the kinds of games that, if we're not careful, we play with one another, we play in relationships. The kinds of games that end up harming relationships rather than creating the kind of, of friendship, the kind of camaraderie that is really life-giving. That really is uh, something that we can enjoy and that we, we want to participate in. And, and so as we wrap up this series today, we're, we're looking at the game of life and really an idea that is found in the game of life. Uh, and that idea is the American dream. And you know the American dream. We, the American dream in, in terms of America really finds its, its most obvious statement or, or, or foundation in our Declaration of Independence. This idea that we are granted, we are given these inalienable rights for the pursuit of life, liberty, and, or for the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, and when we, we talk about what it means to be Americans, that's, that's really at the, the core of what our hopes are when it comes to this land and the kind of freedom that we enjoy in this land and that we want to see preserved. It's that we would have this opportunity to to have life and liberty 
and the pursuit of happiness. And, and again, the game of life is really just a, a, an extension of that dream that we would have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so as we, we kick off and we look at just some of the limitations of approaching our lives and approaching family life the way maybe the, the game of life would present it, I want us to start off and understand that the normal dreams we have for family life aren't bad, okay? There are these normal dreams, most notably this American dream, and and those dreams are generally not bad. There there generally is nothing wrong with these things. In fact, we we can give a lot of, I want to affirm and state that the idea that we can have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is absolutely not just not bad, but a very good pursuit in its most ideal form. And so the American dream, a family that's pursuing this kind of of good life, not a bad thing. In fact, there's a biblical basis for this American dream. I mean, the the dream that we talk about actually finds its its real foundations going back into this Judeo-Christian ethic that emerged in the founding of our country, that, that helped help spur on the founding of our country. And so we find statements, this is just one, but we find this biblical basis for this American dream even found in things like Proverbs 10.4, where we're told that idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. Okay. That's, that's a part of this American dream, the idea that I can come, I can work hard with the right mixture of opportunity, I can work hard, and I can create, I can build a life, a good life, for myself and for my family, and not just my family, but ideally for generations of my family to come. That's, again, a big part of the American dream. And, and the Bible, Proverbs in particular, speaks of these kinds of things. Now, one thing to keep in mind, just as to be good Bible readers, is understand when you're reading Proverbs, with, with a few exceptions, you're not reading promises. You're reading things that are observations, God-given observations about how life tends to work. And those observations about how life tends to go are meant to help us understand some of the things that go into forming the good life and what it looks like to walk before God in the realities of every day. So it's intensely practical, meant to really give us some some guide rails for how we live on the earth. But we get in trouble when we think, oh, I read that proverb and it said that this is how it always goes. And then I make another observation and go, wait, it didn't happen that way. And I think, well, the Bible's not true. God doesn't come through. No, we just didn't read the Bible right. We didn't, we didn't read it with the intent that, that it was intended for. And so it's important to understand that. But, but know this, that idle hands make one poor, diligent hands bring riches. This idea of working hard to attain things, to achieve things, not a bad deal. Again, biblical basis for what we call the American dream. We, we see this represented really, really well. I think one of the greatest presentations, and it even takes its name from uh, what I just read in the, the Declaration of Independence, is the movie The Pursuit of Happiness. Right, 2006, Will Smith stars as Chris Gardner. Right? It's, a, it's a, re, a telling of the true story, or just a retelling of this true story about a man who finds himself homeless, a single dad, and he's, he, he has to figure out, how am I going to make my way in the world? It's an inspiring story of how he goes from being homeless to being this mega stockbroker who ends up opening his own uh, stockbroker firm, his own brokerage. An incredible story. And again, it takes its name from the Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness. This man's striving to build a life for he and his son and for his family. 
These are inspiring stories. The normal dreams we have for family life, they're not bad. Again, much of what we would see in a story like that or in the things that we know of when it comes to the American dream is, is noble and honorable. These are things that can be esteemed. We absolutely should do that. But the question I want to really dive into today is, what happens if this is all that my family aims at? Right? If this is as high as I set my sights, what's the outcome of that? Okay, so, so here's the, the other thing to understand is that the normal dreams we have for family life aren't bad. They're just not enough. Okay, they're not bad. They're just not enough. So I'm not here to, to rip down the American dream per se. I just want to raise our sights as I think Jesus does, before anybody even knew there'd be an America, he did, because you know, he's God. But, but just understand that what Jesus wants to do is raise our sights beyond and above even the good things that we can find in something like the American dream. It's, the normal dreams are, aren't bad, but they're not enough. And so to help us understand what Jesus would say and the way that he raises our sights, I want to take us to a situation where Jesus, with his followers, does just that. Raises their sights above where they were. And so we're going to dive in here, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. We're going to cover a lot of ground, but hopefully relatively quickly, and then understand as we look at what Jesus explains to us, then look at practically what does that mean for how we operate in family life. So Luke chapter 12, verse 13, sets the stage. It says, Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So I want to stop right there. Okay, the, 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 what's going on here is a family dispute. Okay? Jesus is going to address this family dispute. you got two brothers. One brother says, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. The inheritance, we got to share this. Right? So there's this family dispute going on, and they bring it to Jesus. And Jesus responds. He says, friend, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? In other words, why, why, are you, why do you think this is my job description? To come divvy out your inheritance. He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Okay? So really quickly, big picture, what does Jesus do? He says, hey, there's this dispute, family life, trying to make this all go. And he says, hey, listen, there's something much more important than what's going on here. You, you can go talk to somebody about how to, to divvy this up, but the, the more important thing is you need to be careful. He gives them this warning. Right? Watch out and be on guard against all greed. He says, what far worse than you not getting your piece of the pie is if you let greed tear down your life. And, and he goes on, he says, the reason that is because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. I mean, Jesus point blank right here is saying, if you build life, your life, like the game of life, you're going to miss real life. Life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. He who dies with the most toys does not win. And Jesus is being very clear about this in addressing the situation. But he's still going to dive into this even more because he's got more to help us understand. But that's, that's the kind of the overarching thing. He says there is something far more important than your inheritance dispute here. And that is where real life is found. He's going to show us where is real life actually found. And so he goes on. In verse 16, he says, it says, he told them a parable. He says, a rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do? 
since I don't have anywhere to store my crops. I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. And then I'll say to myself, Self, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Okay. Man, that sounds fantastic. I mean, look at this guy. He is, I mean, this is American dream at its finest. This guy's worked hard. He's built a successful business. And it's thriving. And at some point, he gets just a little bit of time. Right? Ferris Bueller famously said, life moves fast. Got to take some time. Look around or you'll miss it. And this guy, that's what he's done. Life's moving fast, but he, he takes some time. He looks around and he goes, hey, I've done all right. In fact, I'm doing so well, I don't have enough to kind of keep track of this here. I'm going I'm to do this reorganization. I'm going to go tear, invest in some infrastructure. going to go tear down these, these smaller barns, build big barns. I'll be set. In fact, he says, I mean, I really built the good life. I can, I can take it easy. I can eat and, and drink and enjoy myself. Maybe take up fishing or or, you know, axe throwing or something. Like, I'll find something good to do in these retirement years where I've, I've built this, this lasting good life. So this is the stage. We look at this and go, well, okay. I mean, sounds good. But then Jesus goes on. Verse 20, he, he continues the parable with, and God enters the picture with this man. It says, God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus says, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, very, very practical problem here. God comes to this man and says, you've made some assumptions in all of your evaluation. And your assumption is, that you have control over the length of your days. And that you know what the content of your days will look like. And so he says, but, but you're a fool if you think that's the case. Because you don't have knowledge of those things and you don't have control of those things. He says, if your life is about just having more Instead of being generous to God, and we can talk real quick there and say, not because God is you know, down on his luck. Okay, this, this is not the point. Well, God you know, just needs a, a few bucks to keep him going. Okay, that, that's not the issue. No, he says, but if your life is not about being generous and being rich toward God, then you're storing up treasure that is, that is not going to last. You're going to make a bad investment, essentially what Jesus says. In other words, if your dreams are no bigger than the American dream, okay, you're going to miss some other things. I want to, I want to see this just in, in all of its fullness. Let's keep going. 22, it says, he said to his disciples, so he's following up with the parable he just told. He says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn. Yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, 
Why worry about the rest? Well, stop right there. <laughs> Jesus says, you can't do the little thing like adding a moment to your life. I, I'm like, Jesus, that sounds like a big thing to me. Creating time. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. You don't understand. That part was easy. There was all kinds of other things to work out. He says, you can't even do this little thing. Why worry about the rest? He gives him another example. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. So here's Jesus expanding on what he had told that, that brother earlier that came to him about the inheritance. He says, look, if your dreams are no bigger, again, than the American dream, notice what you're left with. You're left being foolish and fearful. Your days will be marked by striving and being unsettled. And Jesus says, there's no reason for that. There's no reason for that if you understand what? Not just the nature of reality. Not just how life works. Though he's mentioning that. He says, there's no reason for that if you understand who your Father is. If you know what the Father knows, if you recognize what He cares about, namely you, then you don't have to be foolish you don't have to be fearful. You don't have to strive in such a way that, that your life is all about just getting more. And you don't have to deal with that unsettled feeling like it will never be enough. So God is directing our sights to a bigger dream. He's directing our sights to a bigger dream. Jesus goes on. He finishes up here. He says, Your Father knows what you need, but seek His kingdom. And these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. I want you to hear that one more time and replace little flock with your own name as I read that. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what does he say? He says, look, you can live for the American dream or you can live for a much bigger dream. That's the kingdom of God dream. He says, Put the kingdom first. He's essentially saying this is a framework for life. Seek his kingdom and everything runs downhill from there. It doesn't make it easy. It just means that is the centerpiece upon which everything else has to be built. And when you do that, life starts to fit together. It's the way God intended for it to happen. He says, so don't be afraid. And don't worry. In fact, he goes so far as to say, look, you can sell everything. 
And here's why I know that Jesus isn't telling every single one of us to sell every single thing we have. Because there were plenty of Christians that knew and walked with Jesus who, who had stuff. And the thing that set them apart wasn't that they, had, they all of a sudden had nothing. The thing that set them apart is that everything they had was up for God's use. It was available. And so they were selling things and giving them away. Because they knew that, look, the kingdom of God is, is most important and God will take care of me. It just meant that they didn't have their hands gripping around all those things, thinking that they could just hold on tight enough that somehow they would crush, put enough pressure on all that stuff to create some kind of diamond life. They understand instead, if I just open my hands to the Lord, He delights to give me the kingdom, and as I seek His kingdom, man, everything else comes with it. He's setting our sights higher. I hope you'll see that. And what he's telling us is there is no more secure or sure investment that you and I can make in this life. There's just nothing else we can invest ourselves in that's greater than the treasure of knowing Jesus and seeking his kingdom. That's Jesus' answer to the man that's concerned about an inheritance. And to those that are with him, wondering, whoa, what's this all about? How do I sort through all of this? He says, you want to build a life? Seek the kingdom. You say, well, what does that look like? I want to show you a picture. Not what it looks like, but something that will help get us to what it looks like. Okay? Years ago, I was, uh, we were with some friends. My wife, Sarah, and I, we were with some friends. And I don't even remember exactly what the occasion, but... They said, hey, you guys want to play a game? We brought this game. I think we were, we were on some kind of trip. And, uh, oh, yeah, we were on a mission trip. And, and they said, hey, we brought this game. Do you want to, want to play this game? And we were like, sure. They said, it's a cooperative game. I said, a what? <laughs> Hold on. I mean, we've been through this, right? Like, that's not the point of games, right? <laughs> the, <laughs> the point of a game is that, like, I, I beat you. Like, that's, that's what we're supposed to do here. No, no, you cooperate. You work together. It was this game, Pandemic, okay, which I know is super on the nose, right? I mean, that's just, okay. But here's what I learned. Uh, uh, this game was actually created in the wake of the SARS outbreak back in 2003. Um, it was created by a man named Matt Leacock, and he began designing the game in 2004 after realizing, this is great, that competitive games were making for strained evenings with his wife, okay? That's, that, is the, that is why Pandemic came about. Because this guy learned this very thing we're talking about, right? That, that game playing can, can, can cause some problems. And he says, you know what? My marriage or my, my gaming, I, I'm going to pick my marriage, which I think is, is great. I think it's very admirable. And so he creates Pandemic, and, and the idea here is that you cooperate and work together, together strategically to use the different abilities of the players to stop the spread. Okay? I mean, before we all said, stop the spread. But that's what's going on. You're, you're stopping this, this thing from going on and, and spreading. Okay? It, it's a lot of fun. And I, I've grown to really love games like this where there's, there's this cooperative thing. I do find it's good for my blood pressure. Like, it's, it's nice. It's, okay? I mean, think about the, the difference in a game like this and a, a game like the game of life. The game of life, right? He who gets the most wins. And there's one winner. And you play a game like this, you realize, wait, 
This is not about me being or, be, or beating somebody else. This is about me being, playing my part, doing my, playing my role, and helping achieve something greater that one of us couldn't achieve. But together, if we all cooperate and we all think strategically and we invest ourselves properly, then we're able to, to achieve this great goal, namely saving the world. It's a pretty cool game. And I think it's a pretty helpful image when it comes to what Jesus is calling us to as families and as a family of families in terms of seeking his kingdom. And so here's what I want us to, to understand as we, we think about, meditate on what Jesus has just told us there in Luke 12. When it comes to our family life, rather than competing, families should confidently cooperate in pursuit of God's kingdom. What do you want your family to be about? And, and again, as we've talked about this, I, I've tried to be careful. I, I am addressing those of you who have kids in the home, the younger kids. Obviously, I want, us, I want you to be thinking about that because they're there with you. But regardless of what your, your family situation is, it's important for us to realize that God has called us into a family of families, namely the church. If, you, if you're a Christ follower, or if you're even considering what it would be to be a Christ follower, know that he is not calling you into just some sort of one-on-one -on -one transaction. What Jesus came to do through his life and death and resurrection was to secure for us an entry, not just into some kind of personal project, but an entry into God's forever family. Redemption that is, that is personal, yes, but is corporate in the sense that we are a part of God's family. And so, as we've been looking at things over these last, I mean, you've seen it at different points over the last few weeks. I'm addressing things where the people of God are, are, are spoken to. Where, where this is, hey, this is how the people of God need to interact. And all we've done is said, hey, if this is how the, God's people are to interact in churches, then that can, can boil down, you can, you can shrink that down into just individual families and you're not going to skip a beat. This is still how we should operate. And so we're talking about these things. I want you thinking in terms of your own family, whether that's with kids in the home or that's with kids now launched and they're out in different places, there's still ways for us to be thinking about how does my family seek the kingdom? How do we cooperate in pursuit of God's kingdom? And the first thing is that to do that, we've got to get in the game and play our role, okay? Just get in the game. That is to say that you have to see that your living is tied to the kingdom. This goes all the way back. This is what God wanted us to understand in the very, very beginning. Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. What God was doing in creation and in then creating mankind, was he was asking us, he was giving us the privilege of ruling this world with him. He was delighted to give us the kingdom that is this world. Now sin comes, and it breaks that project in a certain way. It creates this divide between heaven and earth. The, the grand scheme, the grand plan will not be thwarted. 
And that is to bring heaven and earth back together again. And so when we see that our part on this earth is to extend the rule of God around the earth, in light of what Jesus has done, then we begin living with, in our everyday living, right, a framework for life, we see that I can seek his kingdom in all the things I'm called to do, going to school, going to work, going to the gym, all the things that I am doing in normal life can be done with a pursuit of the kingdom of God. And I have a role to play. I have a part to play in doing that. Just like the the game pandemic. Nobody's exactly the same. And we've been talking about that over the last few weeks. We've each got different roles. And as we play those roles, really good things happen. Uh, We were listening, we were here Thursday night, or no, Friday night, for the Back to School Bash. And again, thank you to everybody who helped make that possible. We had over 70 people come that we we didn't really know or, or just knew very briefly. And they came. We gave out hundreds of dollars of school supplies. Gave away two backpacks loaded with school supplies, and the winners of those were quite thrilled to have have won. It really was a blessing to them. It was a great time, and as we were wrapping up on Friday night, we could hear the music from Sounds on the Square, and at one point, I was really excited because I started hearing Tears for Fears playing Everybody Wants to Rule the World, and I was jamming, right? I was excited, and I was talking with my kids later about, about the song, this 80s song, right? Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. And I was thinking about that, and they've got their own. I was looking up the, the meaning behind the, the song and what they intended and stuff. I won't even get into all that. But, but they make this really good point. Everybody does want to rule the world. And if you go back to Genesis, you realize that's not necessarily a bad idea. In fact, God wants us to be, in a certain sense, again, you've got to understand it rightly, ruling the world. The problem is that that gets twisted. And we play this game instead. We have this tendency to want what God offers, but apart from him. See, we want what he offers. We want this, uh, this idea to be rulers, to be stewards. We just don't want him in the picture. So everybody wants to rule the world. It doesn't have to be a terrible thing, but we've twisted it. And we play that game, and, and it doesn't go well for us. And so instead, we're encouraged to, as as stewards as people in the game making the most of the opportunities we're given to do what we're told in proverbs 3 trust in the lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding in all your ways know him and he will make your paths straight and so i just want to encourage you to to make it your practice to offer up your work to god whether that's work in your job or it's work that you're doing in the home or work you're doing wherever to see the things that you do as, as being an opportunity from God. And as you do them, literally understanding that, that God wants to help you. Seeking him, praying, asking him for his help. And making choices about the things you do in light of who God is. Make that our practice. Get in the game, play your role. The second thing is do what's best for God and others. Right? That's another distinction between game of life. In the game of life, I do what's good for me. In pandemic, I do what's best for the group. Sometimes that means I may want to make another move, but the group needs me to do something else. We're told in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, do everything in love. And that's the, the essence of love. Do what's best 
for God and others. We're told, too, that, the, that really God's ethic is love him and love our neighbor as ourself. Do everything in love. But again, we have this game we play. There's this tendency to compete and do what's best for ourselves. We don't have a problem loving. We just have a problem in that our love is misplaced. It, again, gets twisted. But instead, we are to love as God has loved us. Ephesians 5, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. We've talked about love over the last many weeks, but, but just one practice of that that I, I want to drive home today is as you seek to do this, one of the things we've got to, to learn to do is to make our default to believe the best about others. Okay? There's, now, we need to be wise. There, there are people who really do want to do harm, and the scriptures don't suggest that we should just be idiots when it comes to that, that we should just act like, oh, everybody's out to do good things all the time. No, we, we know that in the human heart lies things that, that means that people will, will do harm. There are dangerous people. But when it comes to our relationships and forming relationships with one another, to really love one another well, means starting to, to build this, this default, asking the Lord to, to build this default in us, where we believe the best about each other. This is, this is so important for husbands and wives, so important when it comes to our relationships with our kids. Let's not make our default, oh, you probably are out to hurt me, so I'm going to protect myself. Now, for some of you, that hits home because you've, you've built up a practice of defending yourself because you've been in actual dangerous situations. And I grieve that that's, that's the response that has been developed. Because you're like, I, I don't know. I, I'm just expecting that somebody's going to actually hurt me. And so it takes time. It takes building trust to be able to be in that spot where you go, nope, I'm going to believe the best until you prove otherwise. Rather than, I'm going to believe the worst until you believe otherwise. But that's part of learning to do what's best for God and others. Third thing is that as we cooperate to seek God's kingdom, we team up to attack every sized problems. Very often when you're, you're playing a game, you're just attacking. You're attacking the other person. But God calls us into his kingdom to team up to attack every size kind of problems. Why say every size? Well, it's because really this, this, there are gigantic size problems that we are to be a part of solving. But then we also need to be a team when the problems are small and we need to be able to go shoulder to shoulder and go attack the problems rather than each other. We're told in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, the greatest problem that exists and the problem that we as God's people are called to band together to be a part of seeing fixed. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is Jesus saying, you want to know what the biggest problem is? The greatest problem on earth is not a lack of education. It's not, a, it's not the, the, the wars that get created. Those are symptoms of the greatest problem. The greatest problem on earth is that mankind is separated from its creator and king. 
And he calls us as a family of families to join in helping be a part of, of welcoming people back into the family of God. Now, that's not a, a problem that one of you can solve. That's not a problem that one of your families can solve. That's not a problem that one church can solve. That is a problem that Jesus is solving through his life, death, and resurrection and his continued work. But he's working, he chooses to work through his people all time in all places. That's the giant-sized problem. But sometimes the problems are as small as who, we got to get the trash out before the, the truck gets here because it's like two houses down. Everybody sprint, let's go. What we're called to do as we seek God's kingdom is team up and be together in attacking every sized problems. What we can't do is lump people into our problem list. You've got to be really careful here that people aren't your problem. People cause problems. But if you start to get into that mindset that is, no, my problem is people, then we, we stop attacking the actual problems. We just start attacking one another. But instead, we're to work together, use the gifts we have, and go solve the problems that exist. First Peter 4.10, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. I talked about this with my family last night. As I, I, this really hit home for me. I realized that very often when there's conflict, it's easy for me to get into, oh, there's this problem between you and I. But when you're a part of a family, when you're a part of people who you're building trust and goodwill with, then what happens is you have to remember that when there's a, a problem, when there's a conflict, that problem is not the person, it's that, that, that this thing that we have together is threatened. If you have a beef with me, then the biggest problem is not necessarily me, it's that if we're going to be brothers and sisters in Christ working together, then we've got this conflict that has emerged among us, and if we don't take care of that, it will threaten this bond that we have. It will threaten the call of God on our lives working together as a people. And so if I can now say, you know what, instead of attacking you, instead of addressing you as the problem, even if there's something I need to address with you, if I can do that from the mindset that is, there's this thing that's threatening our relationship, and I care about our relationship, so I don't want this threat to keep going, that changes the tenor of the conversation. So I want to encourage you to begin thinking in a little different way when it comes to attacking problems. Final thing, we do all of that for what purpose? And that is to let God's glory be your goal. God's glory is the reason that we seek the kingdom. First Peter 4.11, Peter goes on, he says, you know, use your gifts. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Again, there's this tendency to seek our own glory. Glory in the Bible has this idea of weightiness. It's when we're deciding what is glory, what should be glorified, what we're saying is what should be given weight? What kinds of things are weighty? What kinds of things are most important? And what we're called to, what the Bible speaks to, is that the greatest, most important thing in the world is God himself. 
that as we seek his kingdom, we're seeking it because he is worthy. Just as Walter said earlier. You say, well, I'm not so sure about this Christianity thing. Am I filled? Am I a vessel of praise? I'm not feeling much like a vessel of anything but frustration or just tiredness today, whatever. Here's the thing. Your feelings about it don't change the fact that you were created to give praise. We all give praise. We're made to do that. The question is, will we do it rightly? Will we do it to the thing or the things that, have, that are most worth it? That are the most glo- worthy of being glorified, the most weighty things? And the testimony of Scripture and of God's people is there is nothing more worth it, no one more worth it than God himself. He is the real weighty thing in all of everything. And so we team up for things, we should team up for things that are really worth our living. Again, the American dream isn't bad, it's just not enough. So we're told in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. What does that mean? It means I treat his will and his ways as weighty. Guys, part of the way we glorify God and all we do is we actually take time to think about God in the things we do. I mean, really, I'm not, I'm not playing games here. That, that's, that's how we treat God as worthy, is we just think about him. And I realize in my own life, I can think about all kinds, I can think about ministry, I can think about sports, I can think about my family, I can think about friendships, I can think about all kinds of things, but if I'm not careful, I'll go a whole day and I'm not really thinking about God. And what happens is I start to ascribe more weight to all those other things than God himself. Now what I'm not arguing for is just go sit in a hole by yourself all day, just pondering great things about God, maybe you need to do that. Maybe some time away would do you well. But I'm not saying our whole life can consist in that. What I'm saying is that as we go, as we do stuff with our families, we actually talk about God as if he's real, because he is. That's how we ascribe him glory in the things that we do. We take time as a family to dwell on him. Listen, the American dream it is, is not just a personal dream. It's actually a corporate dream, right? It's this kind of idea of, of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness is this thing that requires us working together. So the idea that we would, would cooperate is not, it's not just reserved for Christians. It's a, it's a corporate dream, and again, it's not bad. But I will say that, that this, that the possibilities and the problems that are bound up in the American dream What those should do is guide our sights higher to an eternal dream and the one who makes it possible. He's described like this, Psalm 145, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his actions. It's that kingdom that is better It is that kingdom that is worth your life. It is that kingdom that strategically we as families and as a family of families are called to pursue and seek knowing that our Father delights to give us that kingdom. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, most high God, we come before you confessing that all too often our sights are set on things that may not be bad, they're just not enough. And so I pray for each and every one of us here that you would help us to have courage to admit that. Give us insight to see where maybe we're just, we're, we're holding on to things that won't satisfy. We're clutching and, and investing in things that will disappoint. God, help us to not be foolish and afraid. Help us to not be striving and unsettled. I pray that you would form in us as a family of families a people that is seeking your kingdom in a a variety and diversity of ways, but that together we would pursue what you tell us is the only sure and secure investment of our lives. God, we love you. We thank you that we can look into your word and that you speak to us, you guide us, you give us direction that's intended to help us live and seek your glory. May we pursue what is truly weighty, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us and join us again next week for another podcast from the Grove Church. Have a great day. Thank you.